Acts is a book of transition. We've talked about that many, many times. It's also a, a book of narrative, which means it tells a story. And so the, as, the, as the church changes, as the, act, the activity of the Holy Spirit changes, as, as the role of the apostles change, as the, the church develops, um, we get from point A to point B through a story. And, and right now we're at the point of the story where we're learning about Paul. And so everything we read usually has something to do with Paul, his life. And, and that's important because Paul is the one who wrote a, a huge chunk of the New Testament. He wrote all the epistles, and he lays out a lot of doctrine and a lot of teaching. And if we're going to trust Paul's teaching, we need to know who Paul is. We need to know who Paul was, how he became who he is, and, and then we can read Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians and Philippians, and we can say, oh, Paul wrote this, we can trust him. So part of the purpose of this section of Acts is so that we gain an understanding of how Paul became who he is. He started off as Saul, remember, he got saved. He spent some time alone, he spent some time with the apostles. He went on a, a missionary journey, a very short one, came back, spent a lot of time in the, with the church in Antioch, and, and now he's, he's, he's heading back out, and he's got a new partner, Silas. So... We're learning the narrative, and, and when we know the narrative, there's that, there's that surface level. This is the story going on. We, need, we want to know how Paul got from point A to point B and some things he did along the way, and, and there's, there's more to it. When we read the Bible through in a year, which is a good thing, and I'd encourage you to do that, oftentimes we can read the narrative and, and we can skip right by. Matter of fact, sometimes we're really happy for a narrative because it's easier to read, and we can catch up when we're behind or get ahead a little bit. And, and so we kind of scoot past it, and we don't take a lot of time to say, why else is it here? So we're going to spend just a, 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 tiny about, a tiny bit of time talking about how do we look at a narrative? How do we look at a story that's being told? And not a parable, that's different. Um, not even the, the Gospels, that's different. But now we're, we're into uh, time and space. How did we get from point A to point B? So... In your notes, here's three things about a biblical narrative. Number one, it's historically accurate. Okay, so it is the historically accurate retelling of actual events in story form. So we can trust that the narrative is true. We can trust the facts and the details. We can read word for word. We can examine the big words and the small words. And every word in there will give us a little bit of information, a little bit more piece of the story, and we're going to do a little bit of that today. But we can trust it. It's, it's not a make-believe story. It's not made up. It's, it's not a, a fable or anything like that. Historically accurate retelling of actual events in story form. Number two, it's used to progress the story through time and space. Like I talked about, we need to get from Saul to Paul. We need to get from Paul the new convert to Paul the apostle. We need to get from Paul the Apostle to Paul the Missionary. We need to get from Paul the Missionary to Paul the Author. So it's, it's progressing us through time and space. It gets us where we need to be. It's a good transition transitionary book here. But number three, it's an, should say an, an overhead view of both God's work and God's people working. So one of the things you do with the narrative is you, you understand the story and then you step back almost 
today we might say a drone view, where we see the big picture and we can watch things happening and we look to say, what was God doing? What were they doing? What examples are there that I can follow? What lessons can I learn from their life? Who do I want to be like? Who do I not want to be like? But then also always look to see what is God doing? And in our passage today, it's, it's, it's a lot about what God is doing. So in our narrative, which we'll read in just a minute, it is the second missionary journey. It's the second time Paul is going to go out. Remember he said, hey, let's go revisit the churches that we started on our first journey. Let's revisit the people that got saved. Let's see how they're doing and let's help them grow some more. Let's, let's, let's go back and minister to them. And so that was the plan when they left. And, and over the next several chapters, we're going to find out that that plan only went so far and then God changed it. We'll see a little bit of that today. So in your notes, in this narrative, number one, we gain an understanding of how and why Paul and Silas wound up traveling northeast from Troas towards Europe when their goal was to travel all through Asia Minor. So they, they kind of made this northwestern kind of move, and then they got to Troas, which is a coastal city. And the plan was to head south and go through Asia Minor, maybe going to some new cities, because they had already been to the ones that they had established earlier. But God stopped them. We'll read about that. And instead of going south, they ended up going north and east. And they wound up actually sailing across that body of water. So they, they, they ended up traveling through Asia Minor. And Asia Minor is an area of biblical terminology. It's not Asia today, so don't think China and the Philippines and stuff like that. Okay? Uh, a, in your notes, they wound up in Troas because God blocked them from turning off the road that, that took them there. We're going to read this in a minute. They went to one city, and they wanted to go into the city and stay there, and God said no. The words used is he, God blocked them. Now, I don't know how God blocked them. I don't know if uh, the road was closed. I don't know if there were mean people there they didn't want to interact with. I don't know if the Holy Spirit just said, nah, not today. But he blocked them. A and then they went to the next city, and the same thing happened. And then in Troas, the door was wide open, so they, they wound up there. But, but God blocked them. And then B, they went towards Europe into Macedonia because of Paul's vision. So God did a couple of things there. Okay, so I want to read, I want to read the text here before I get too far into the narrative. And I, I want you to, well, actually, let's do two and three. So we'll, we'll do this, then we'll read the whole narrative. In Acts 16 to 21, the next five chapters... It tells us where Paul and Silas traveled on, on the second missionary journey and some of the important events that took happen. So we're going to get that bird's eye view, that drone view, for the next several chapters. And we're going to ask what was God doing, what was he doing, what was he learning, what were the other people up to. That's the time and space portion. Okay, so we have the accurate telling of the story, how they got there. We have the time and space portion. And in our passage, we're going to see God overseeing the, form, the formation of Paul's ministry team. So the title of the sermon is God Doing What God Does. God does what God does. He doesn't ask our permission. He doesn't ask our guidance. He doesn't even ask us for counsel. He says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I hope you get on board because I want to do it with you. And what God is doing in this passage is he's putting the team together for the second missionary journey. 
heading off to new land that they hadn't been to before. So let's read chapter 16, 1 through 15. It says, Paul came to Derbe and then Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. Now these are two cities they had been to before. Uh, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So think back, remember there was the controversy over uh, the dietary laws and circumcision and do you have to become a Jew in order to be saved? And they said, no, you absolutely don't, but here's some things we're going to ask you to do anyway. Here's a bit of a compromise. Do these things and you're good. So they're, they're, they're spreading that word. Verse 5. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So their, their work was effective. Verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had the vision, seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. From Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, he went on to Neapolis. Don't you love these names? I hope it brings joy to your heart that I struggle with them too. Because I practiced and I had them all down. And I look and I go, what? <laughs> Verse 12. From there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of the district of Macedonia. And we stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath, he went, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. I'll just say now that they expected to find them praying by the river because in Philippi, a Roman city, there weren't enough Jewish people to have a synagogue. If there was enough Jewish people, they would make a synagogue, buy a building, rent some space, something, and they would meet together. But if there weren't enough people, they weren't allowed to have a synagogue. Therefore, they went out to the river. That would be like choice number two. We'll just gather outside the city and we'll, we'll worship together. So that's why he's out there. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Take that phrase, take it back to God-fearer. Remember God-fearer we talked about? Um, Gentiles who recognized who God was but did not convert to Judaism. So they're worshiping the Jewish God, but they have not become Jews. Okay? The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. And we'll stop there. That's a, it's not 
the end of the narrative, but that's a good place to stop. So I told you that, you know, you got the story, you got some of the details. I want to ask the question, what was God doing? What was God doing here? And the answer is, he was making Team Paul. Paul was heading out. He needed certain people. God knew who he needed. He was getting them in order. And, and I want to talk about who's on Team Paul. I want to start with Timothy. And, and Timothy was in the, the first section. And, and this is what it said. Um, they arrived in Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived. And, and God had a plan for Paul that was not Paul's plan. Paul planned on visiting the churches he had been to before and then circling back home. Another short trip. That was his stated goal. That was his purpose. But God was planning already for him to head to Macedonia. And so they went to Lystra, and Timothy was a fellow that had probably been saved on the first journey. And they see him there, and he's, he's like, everybody likes him. Everybody looks up to him. They have nothing but good things to say about Timothy. And Paul says, hey, uh, we should take this guy with us. And so Timothy joins him, and there's an interesting thing there. Paul wants to take him along, so he circumcised him. This is really odd, because the message he was delivering to the people was, you don't have to be circumcised. Gentiles do not have to be circumcised. They do not have to become Jews. They do not have to follow all the dietary laws. They don't have to go to the temple. Jesus has accepted the Gentiles. They have the Holy Spirit. They're saved just like everybody else. But now Paul says, hey, Timothy, you want to go on the trip? Yeah, I want to go on the trip. All right, we got we to gotta get you circumcised. Timothy is a young adult. Very awkward conversation, I assume. Okay? I, I see Paul walking up with a knife in one hand and maybe a glove in the other hand. And he says, hey, you want to go on the trip? Yeah. Well, <laughs> we got to circumcise you. Awkward conversation, but Timothy said, okay. Timothy didn't say, hey, hold it now. You just got done telling us that we don't have to be circumcised. Now, we don't know what the conversation was. That may have been how it started, but Paul had a reason for wanting him circumcised, and Timothy agreed to it, was circumcised, and then went on the trip. But what I want to ask is, why would God want Timothy to be on the trip? Why would God move in Timothy's heart to let Paul circumcise him? And why would God move on Paul to bring Timothy along? So, here's some thoughts. Number one, Timothy, the first person on the team, A. Timothy was both Greek and Jewish. Did you hear that? His mother was Jewish and a believer, so she was a Christian. She probably also got saved on the first time that Paul and Barnabas came to town. So Timothy saved, his mother saved, but his father was Greek, indicating that he was either not saved or was already dead. So there, there is no issue with his father being Greek, but that's important. So as Paul moves, moves through the Jewish places, he always goes to the synagogue, and he always reaches out to the Gentiles. As he moves through and then goes to Macedonia, there's going to be way more Greeks in Macedonia than in these churches close by. There's going to be way more Gentiles there. There will be synagogues, and there will be Jewish people, and there will be people eager to hear the gospel and get saved, but Timothy can speak to the Greeks. 
He can say, yeah, my dad is a Greek. I understand how you think. I understand uh, how you operate. I know who you've worshipped in the past. I know what the obstacles are. I'm also Jewish. Timothy can relate to anybody. So Timothy was Greek and Jewish. B, Timothy was well-respected, which means he was growing in his faith. He was mature in his faith. He was able to minister. He was able to serve. He would, he would be useful. He was recognized in the church. So he would be a, an addition to the team that would be positive and beneficial. See, as I mentioned, Timothy was willing to be circumcised. Here's one reason, perhaps, this was important. Because they were going to visit churches where people had come and said, Hey, Gentiles, if you want to be saved, you have to be circumcised. You have to be a lot more Jewish uh, than you are. And a lot of those people, in order to, to, to be saved, because the Jewish person comes in and says, hey, you're not fully saved until you're circumcised, and they have believed in Jesus, they're probably going to go, whatever it takes, I'm in. And so there were probably a lot of believers who had been circumcised based on the lie that was told. And now they're going to come back and they're going to say, hey, this isn't a thing. And they're going to go, but wait. I did this. Now am I not saved now? What happens to me? And, and Timothy can go, hey, I got, I got circumcised after I was saved. You're good. I'm good. You're good. I can speak to you. Matter of fact, the guy who's preaching is the one that did it. And he wouldn't do it if it was going to interfere with my salvation. So he could have spoke to those people. So Timothy would have had an audience, no matter where he went, that he could speak to. That's actually D. Timothy related to everybody. Everybody that was involved in the, in the decision and instructions, everything they were going to share, every, every Jew they met, every Gentile they met, Timothy would be a bridge to them. Okay, So Timothy's a, a great member of the team. E, Timothy was saved under the ministry of Paul, so he had a relationship with Paul. He looked up to Paul. He, he would have followed him as a father. He would have seen him as a mentor. So the relationship was already there. In 1 Timothy 1-2, Paul calls him my true son in the faith. So Paul was his, probably led him to the Lord. He was a spiritual father. We don't know that for sure, but it seems pretty obvious. And so the relationship would have worked perfectly for Timothy to get on board and serve under Paul's ministry. And then later, what happened with Timothy? Well, he became one of Paul's representatives in Corinth, one of the churches that would be established. He also, he also was a representative in Philippi, and later became the pastor in Ephesus. So Timothy went from the young guy we're going to take along because he's useful, the young guy who's serving well, the, the young guy who needs mentored. Timothy's going to go from that to uh, leadership in the group, to leadership outside the group, to becoming a pastor one day. So Timothy is in the process of becoming a pastor in Ephesus, which was probably one of the hardest places around to be a pastor. He was an ambassador, he was a representative, and he was a trusted worker. So God took them to Lystra to pick up Timothy. I mean, he was also, they were also there to serve the churches, to minister to the believers, to teach them these new things, answer their questions about Scripture, help them overcome issues, help with doctrine and that kind of stuff. But a big part of it, what was God doing? He was getting them where they needed to be to meet Timothy again. So they could be impressed by Timothy, and Timothy could come on board and travel with them. So the first person God added to Team Paul 
was Timothy. Now, number two is, is kind of a group of people, and there's not a lot to say about them. We know almost nothing. But in, in verse 6, it says, Paul and his companions. Now, this is Paul and his companions. This is not just Paul and Silas. It's not just Paul and Silas and Timothy. Companions would indicate a group. And, and think about it. They're going to travel. They're involved in ministry. They're missionaries, if you will. And they're going to bring someone along to do the cooking. They're going to bring someone along to handle the finances. They're going to bring people along, maybe to set up lodging along the way, this kind of stuff. And so they had uh, ministers and employees with them. Okay? And so uh, in your notes, these are people who worked with and perhaps for Paul. Now, if, 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 you're, if your gift is cooking and you see this missionary group about to head out, and you can take care of all the cooking, and you can cook in a way that feeds them well and saves them money, and you travel along, and all you do is get your own food because you're cooking it, and you get to travel, if that's all you do, you are a great help to the ministry. That is a great position to have. That's an unsung hero. It's a person who's not going to get any press. They're going to be behind the scenes. They're going to be working in the background. But that's... That's some of the people that traveled, and they're part of the team, and God put them together. So there's the companions. Number three, they're going to pick up Luke. Now remember, Luke is the author of Acts. He's also the author of Luke. And Luke joins the team in Troas. Now I don't know if you caught this, but I want to, I want to highlight a couple things in verse 7, 8, 9, and 10. So in verse 7, it says, When they came to the border, they tried to enter. Jesus would not let them in. Verse 8, they passed by. Okay, so it's they, they, them, they. In verse 10, after Paul had the vision, we got ready at once to leave. Because God called us to preach the gospel to them. So the author of the text went from they did this, they did that, they, them, they, them, to us, we. So Luke joined the team here. This is the only, he didn't say, hey, and by the way, this is where I teamed up. He just says, now it's we. So Luke is here. So how do we know that the stories that Luke is telling is accurate? Because he traveled with Paul. Some of it he was his own eyewitness. Some of it he got from Paul, who was the eyewitness. Maybe some of the folks that were traveling with him. So Luke joined in Troas, that's A. B, Luke left the team at the end of chapter 16 and joined up again in Acts 20. So we know that by that V-way pattern. And later he was with Paul in Rome in Acts 27 and 28. So Luke also, like Timothy, was left behind and sent ahead to do ministry. So he was a, a good worker. He was uh, responsible. He was faithful. He could be trusted. And he, he knew his scriptures. He could be given an assignment. C, Luke was most likely responsible for Paul's medical care. He was, a, he was a physician. He was a doctor. He was a medical doctor. And if you know anything about Paul, he ends up being a sickly guy. Very poor eyesight. We have that thorn in the flesh. We don't know what is. He's, he's probably, I mean, he's described in a couple of places as, a, as kind of a puny, short, hunched over guy. Not very pretty to look at. And, and he probably needed medical attention even here. 
the, the scenario may have been that they came into town and, and they said, hey, we need someone to take care of Paul a little bit. He's not feeling well. And they said, hey, we know just who the guy is. His name is Luke. He's a doctor. Matter of fact, he's recording right now the life of Christ. He's writing it down. Oh, I want to meet this guy. They meet. We don't know what happened. That's just a scenario. But Luke joins the team. Okay, probably for medical care being his number one job, but he had many other jobs. D, Luke was a fellow worker. That's the word that des describes him in Philemon. So he's sent here, he's sent there, he does this and that, he's the doctor. He joins the team, and he gives another person that Luke can count on to uh, go ahead or stay behind to accomplish things. So we have Luke. Number four, we have Lydia. Don't, don't pass by Lydia. I, I like how, what Lydia said in verse um, 15. Just picture someone you know saying this, okay? Listen to how it's said. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, if, if you think I'm saved, come and stay at my house. So she just got saved. She just responded to the gospel. They're talking, and she probably said, hey, you should come to my house. I, I got extra rooms. I can put you guys up. Well, we don't want to put you out. We don't, we don't want to be a burden on anybody. We don't know how long we're going to stay. And she goes, if you really think I'm saved, then you better come to my house. <laughs> and it says, and she persuaded us. Just think of who that person is that could, per could persuade you like that. So they wind up at her house. That's, that's Lydia. That's kind of a bit of her personality. But in your notes, she was a dealer in purple cloth. That's just a detail that, that, that goes right by. And we might be like, what do we care about that? She sells purple cloth. What's the big deal? Well, purple cloth was a big deal. You could go to Walmart and get purple cloth. I see purple out here today. Not a big deal. But back then, that was an expensive dye, and that was an expensive material, and not everyone could afford it. And if you had purple, that showed that you had some wealth. And she was from Thyatira, and Thyatira was the place where they had the right materials to make the dye, and they dyed the cloth. And the fact that she was in uh, Philippi selling it probably means that she was either a, a salesperson or maybe starting an outlet. So she is in the business of selling this very special cloth in a second city. So that tells us she's probably wealthy. She probably has uh, wealth in her family. It at least would have been a very good job to have if it wasn't her own cloth. So she's a dealer in purple cloth. And the reason that's there is let us know that she has some means. She has the ability to help them out. She was also a worshiper of God, or a God-fearer. And her family were God-fearers. We know the family were God-fearers because when she got saved, the next thing that happened was her household got saved. She went and her household got saved, and then they were all baptized. So, she, she, so now there's an entire family of God-fearers who were all on board, all baptized. Okay, She was baptized, convert of Paul's ministry, that's C and D. She became a ministry supporter. In verse 16, she says, you're going to stay at my house while you're in town. Anytime you come to town, you come here first. I'll feed you. I'll wash your clothes. you got a place to stay. While you're here now, you're going to stay here. I'm going to take care of you. In verse 40, which we didn't read today, it says, After Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. It became a house of meeting as well. She opened up her home. 
She probably supported them in many ways, including financial. And there's a decent chance that she had something to do with the church that started in Thyatira, because we have no record of Paul ever going there. So Lydia's found out at the river praying. She takes them to her home. Her family gets saved. Lydia becomes a ministry supporter. So she's part of the team, even though she probably is not going to travel with them ever. Now, number five, we got to backtrack to last week. We met Silas last week, but he's definitely part of the team. In Acts 15, 40, Paul says, I'm going to take Silas and I'm going to go. We never talked about why he would choose Silas. Well, Silas was obviously ready for the task, but A, Silas was a Roman citizen. Paul was a Roman citizen. Silas was a Roman citizen. Why would that matter? Well, we're going to read in, in the end of chapter 16. We'll read it next week. They got thrown in prison and they beat them. And then in the morning, they said, you can go now. And Paul said, no, no, I don't think so. I'm a Roman citizen, and you beat me publicly. That's against the rules. You could get in trouble for this. So if you want me to be quiet and move on, then those very people who gave the order to beat me are going to have to come down here and escort me out of the jail. Probably with an apology. Because when they heard that they had beat Roman citizens, they were very nervous, to say the least, probably a bit fearful. And they came right down to the prison, and they escorted them out. He said, you beat us publicly, you release us publicly, where everyone can see, and it better be you. And that's exactly what happened. And I imagine that Paul learned that his Roman citizenship was important. And if him and Silas were both citizens, they could go into town, and they would have open doors. Because... Roman citizens had privileges in Roman towns. Philippi was a Roman town. They would, they would have privileges, they'd have protection, and they, were, they would have a voice open to the Gentiles. Hey, we're Jewish, yeah, but we're also Roman citizens. We, we identify with you. So it was a good thing that Silas was a Roman citizen, a good addition to the team. B, he was a leader in the church. He, he, had, he had experience. He had proven himself. C, he was a prophet, which we would say he was a strong teacher, maybe a teaching pastor. So he was a leader and he was a prophet, which means D, he was a true ministry partner to Paul. We all need partners in ministry. We need people we can talk to, people we can count on, people that we know they're going to be where they say they're going to be, when they say they're going to be there, and they're going to do what they say they're going to do. Silas was that guy. In Acts 16.25, again next week, but relevant today, it says, After about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So they're in jail, they've been beaten, they're in shackles, and they're probably not in a sleeping condition, like there's no comfort. They probably ache all over. And Paul probably said, hey, let's sing. And Silas said, okay. And they sang loud enough for everyone to hear them. That's a ministry partner. Okay? A lot of us might have said, Paul, if you'd have just kept your mouth shut, we wouldn't be here today. We wouldn't be in shackles. They wouldn't have beat us. Why didn't you bring up this citizenship thing before they beat us? Why didn't you think of it then? I mean, there's a lot of ways that could go, right? Silas is like, hey, you know what? You want to sing? Let's sing. You want to pray? Let's pray. Ministry partner. Silas was the ministry partner. Where did he go after Paul? He ministered in Berea. We read that in Acts 17. And then he spent some time with Peter. He has a different name in 1 Peter. That's his name there, Sil 
Silvanius or Silvanius, I don't know how you say it, but you look at it and you can see how Silas is the short name for Silvanius, like John or Johnny might be short for Jonathan, okay? So we have a short name here, Silas. So those are the people that God put on the team in this chapter. I want to talk about why. Why did he put them on the team? I've mentioned a few things, but let's summarize it. So Timothy, he was young, so he's probably an eager beaver. He's, he's very trainable. He's full of energy. He had a relationship with, with Paul. He was young. He represented both Greeks and Jews, so he's very relatable. He was willing to make the sacrifice necessary to smooth out ministry opportunities. I'm sure that conversation, Paul said, this is going to be uncomfortable for you. It's going to be weird for me, trust me. But if we do this, it's going to open up a lot of doors for ministry. It's going to make a lot of people listen to us that wouldn't listen otherwise. And there's a lot of people that are hurting that if we do this, you can minister to. That you're, you, you have a unique opportunity. And Timothy is like, all right, let's do it. Not many people would have responded that way. But he made the sacrifice necessary. And later on, he would carry on Paul's work in Ephesus after Paul is dead. So why Timothy? Because he was all those things. Young, energetic, represented Greeks and Jews, was willing to make the sacrifice necessary. And he would be there to carry on Paul's work in the future. Why Luke? Well, Luke was a skilled writer. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts. These things needed to be recorded. Why would God want him there? To be the eyewitness account of his own writing. He could say, we did this and we did that. And by the way, they did this, and I know this because Paul told me. Paul told me these details. Here's This is why I'm sharing this with you. He was a skilled writer. God wanted him on the team so he could record everything. He was a doctor. Uh, Paul, was, Paul was not the healthiest of fellows. And he needed someone to care for him. That's who Luke was. And he had a mind for ministry. He was willing to be assigned to go places and do things. Why Lydia? Well, one reason is because these kinds of things take, take finances. Um, she provided a home base in Philippi. She provided a place for them to, to eat and sleep and to, to refresh. She provided needed support. We know she gave them her, her home. We know other things. She likely even gave them finances. And she was not afraid to speak up. Did you catch that? Hey, if you think, if I'm saved, you just, we just had this thing. And if I'm saved, then you're coming to my house. I'm not going to take no for an answer. So you might as well just come now. She was willing to speak up. She was willing to get involved. She was willing to make sacrifices. She had the gift of hospitality and the gift of generosity. And she used them. So she fulfilled a role. She met a need they had. Why Silas? Because he was the perfect balance to, to Paul. He, he, would, he would be his right-hand man, his sounding board. He was a co-worker, a good teacher, a good leader, and a good partner. So we have the team. We have the reason for the team. But what does that mean to us? What are we supposed to learn? What are we supposed to take home? Well, here's some thoughts. Number one, this is not in your notes, so you just have to pay attention. I ran out of space. Sorry. Number one... God can use you, or excuse me, God can get you where you need to be. God can get you where you need to be, when you need to be there, and with the people you need to be with. Every once in a while you hear a testimony of someone goes, you know, I was driving down the road and I got a flat tire. 
And I had to go into this town. And I had to be there six hours while they fixed my flat tire. But do you know what happened while I was there getting my flat tire fixed? I met this person. And either I ministered to them or they ministered to me. And I look backwards now and I go, I got the flat tire so I'd have to go into this town. So I'd be at this store so I could meet this person. Because they needed me or I needed them. That's, that's the story here. They wanted to go into this town, and God said, no, not this town. Okay, we'll go to the next town. No, not that town either. We're Okay, we're in Troas. Can we stop here? Yes, yeah, stop in Troas. No problem. Uh, I, want, I have someone there I want you to meet. Oh, and by the way, tomorrow morning, you're not heading that way. You're going that way. And, and so I'm going to give you a vision. God got Paul where he needed to be. He had Timothy where he needed to be. He had Luke where he needed to be. He had Lydia where he needed to be, and he got them all together. And each person that joined the team had a divine appointment, and they had a role to play. And if, if you are assigned a role to play, if there's a person you're supposed to talk to, or a person you're supposed to listen to, God will get you where you need to be, and He'll get them where they need to be. If you're ever in a situation where you're like, man, this seems like God set this up. Guess what? God set this up, which is the green light for you to move forward. Wow, it seems like there's no conversation to have with you except the gospel. Is this you, God? It's the only thing I have left. They're not leaving. I got nothing else to say. All right, hey, can I tell you about the gospel? Oh, man, I, please, I've been waiting for someone to tell me about this. I have questions about God no one can answer. Who do you ask? Nobody. Well, ask me. Okay. God will set up the appointments. He'll, he'll get you where you need to be. He'll get you with the people you need to, to be with. And sometimes you're the person they need to be with. So let God, let God move you around. Let God put you where you need to be. I think of our missionaries going to Saudi Arabia. They had a really good plan to get to Saudi Arabia. And then, and then the plan fell apart. And then they developed another plan, which seemed even better. Then that plan fell apart. Then plan C fell apart. Now they're working on plan D. The goal is still the same. Get to Saudi Arabia. Be a missionary. And God keeps moving them forward, but He keeps changing their path. And that's what I see happening here. And that's a great encouragement. I hope they see this as God moving. Some people would go, oh, well, you know, this, how many times do you have to get the door closed before you say, no, this isn't it? Well, sometimes it's not the door closing on you. It's, it's saying, hey, next door. Next door. We need to listen to God and be open to it. God will get you where you need to be, when you need to be there, with the people you need to be with. Number two, in order to get you started, God may move you in one direction, but does not look anything like the final destination. He, he may move you this way because he really wants you to wind up over here, but you need to go that direction. God may have a different destination for you than you think, and we need to let God have that freedom. Number three, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I love that saying. I don't sell cattle. I don't buy cattle. I don't raise cattle. I'm frankly scared to be near a cattle because they're really big, and I think they'd hurt me. So it's an illustration, but God, I know there's money in beef. I've been to the grocery store, okay? I know the connection. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He is not short in resources. God can, okay, God owns a cattle on a thousand hills, and when you need extra support to do what he's asking you to do, guess what God's going to do? He's going to provide it. 
if God says, hey, I need, you to, I need you to travel here, I need you to move here, I need you to take this job, I need you to start this ministry, I need you to take over this ministry, I, I need you to do this for me, and you say, but God, I can't afford it. Oh God, I don't have the time for it. Or God, this is, this is beyond my comfort level. God's going, well, I've got the finances, I'll give you the time, and I'll prepare your comfort. I'll move you where you need to go. Whatever you're lacking, God will provide. Hey, when, when God's moving you somewhere, all you got to do is, is start following him, and he'll start providing what you need. Okay, number four, uh, let's talk about Lydia. You may not be the missionary. You may not be the pastor. You may not even be on the traveling support team. Okay? Your ministry gifts may be hospitality and generosity, but your gift of hospitality and your gift of generosity may be the key gift for the ministry being successful. Don't think that you have to be the upfront person, the Paul or the Silas or the Timothy or the Luke. Lydia played a key role. Lydia got a lot of things done for them. You can be the hospitable, generous person behind the scenes, working so that God's work is done, even though you're not up front. Cherish that role. If that's the role God gives you, run with it. Be that person, because it's a very important person to be. Timothy and Luke, well, they were, a, they were partners, and they were associates. They weren't Paul and Silas. They were in between Paul and Silas and Lydia. But what was God doing for them in these lesser roles? He was preparing them. They both became so much more than they were on this trip. But God was preparing them. So when you're the second person in charge, or you're the third person in charge, or even you're the grunt in the detail, God may be preparing you for future ministry, and you have to go through that process. You, you may be uh, serving water and, and washing dishes now. You may be leading the charge later. Let God prepare you. Take what God gives you. You know, um, make a sacrifice like Timothy did. And then Silas. Sometimes being number two is the hardest position to be in. You don't get the credit. You don't get the spotlight. But you do just as much work. Sometimes being number two is difficult. But sometimes without number two, number one is not successful. We have to have these people. I hope you see that every person on the team played a vital role. Everybody had a place. Now, we're a church, okay? Some of us are here for first service. Some of us are going to be here for second service. We get together for potlucks, things like this, but we're a body of Christ. We're a church. We have church goals. We have church ministries. We have Awana. We have youth group. We have Sunday school and nursery. We have ladies' Bible studies. We have men's group. We have a lot of things that we do as a church. You may not have a, a flashy role in any of that. You, you may just need to be there to be supportive. Or you may need to be behind the scenes. You may be the number two that gets bypassed most of the time. But we are a church. Everyone has a role to play. Every role is important. The nursery worker is extremely important. The Sunday school teacher is extremely important. The dishwasher is extremely important. The, the server, extremely important. The cook, extremely important. 
Yeah, the person up front, important. The, the person who gets a microphone, important. The person who teaches the class, important. But all equally important because we're all accomplishing God's will. So the big picture is that God's going to do what God's going to do. The application is get on board with what God's doing because he has a role for you to play. That's the application. So I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to ask God to help us see those things. Father, thank you that, that as a church, you set, it us, set us up as a body of believers, each one being a different part, each one playing a different part, having a different role. Thank you that you have plans for us that we don't know of yet, and, and you're going to get us to the place where these plans can be enacted and these ministries can be done. You're not in a hurry, and you're going to take us through the training. You're going to put us on the right teams, and then your will will be accomplished. Thank you that you're in charge of all that, but Father, help us to get on board. Help us to want to be a part of what you're doing, not to shy away from the sacrifice. Not to shy away from generosity and hospitality. Not to shy away from serving behind the scenes. Not to shy away from leadership roles. Not to be afraid of being the person up front. Help us to, to get on board and serve where you call us to be. To accept the training that's coming and accept the role that's, in, that's before us. So Father, thank you for being that God. Thank you for doing it for them. Thank you for doing it for us. And may we serve you well. In Jesus' name, amen.